Living Hope is a church striving to become a 21st century apostolic church. We are founded upon the belief that the Bible is the inspired, infallible Word of God. We believe in the Great Commission and are endeavoring to share the gospel of Jesus Christ with love, mercy, and truth. Listen in as we share the Word and that through Jesus Christ, hope is alive. Amen. If you would turn with me in your Bibles to the book of Hosea chapter 1. And I didn't mention, but he was also the president of Indiana Bible College for the same uh, duration as he was the pastor of Calvary Tabernacle there in Indiana. My daughter Cameron is now a, uh, in her sophomore year at Indiana Bible College. I know Jessica Monk graduated under Brother Mooney. Uh, Josh and Jess both graduated from Indiana Bible College. Is there anybody else here that I'm, I know I went for a little while uh, when Brother Mooney was there as the president? Uh, yeah, Maddie. Maddie just graduated uh, yesterday, Maddie, or Friday. Gra Maddie graduated officially from Indiana Bible College. So Brother Mooney has had a great impact on all of our lives, and again, we thank him. Amen. Hosea chapter 1, verse number 1, the word of the Lord that came unto Hosea, the son of Beeri, in the days of Uzziah, Jotham, Ahaz, and Hezekiah, kings of Judah, and in the days of Jeroboam, the son of Joash, king of Israel, the beginning of the word of the Lord by Hosea, the Lord said to Hosea, Go, take unto thee a wife of whoredoms, and children of whoredoms. For the land hath committed great whoredom, departing from the Lord. So he went, Hosea went and took Gomer, the daughter of Deblaim, which conceived and bare him a son. Moving down to Hosea chapter 3, verse 1. Then the Lord said unto me, Go yet, or go again, and love a woman. Love that same woman. Gomer, beloved of her friend, yet an adulteress, according to the love of the Lord toward the children of Israel, who look to other gods and love flagons of wine. So I bought her to me for 15 pieces of silver, for an homer of barley and a an half homer of barley. And I said unto her, Thou shalt abide for me many days. Thou shalt not play the harlot, and thou shalt not be for another man. So will I also be for thee. Amen. The Lord bless you. You could be seated. And I want to preach uh, for a few minutes. I've been very undecided as to what I would title the sermon. So I'm kind of right now deciding that I was, uh, I think that I'm going to title this today, The Unstoppable Love of God. Amen. Brother Mooney mentioned that in spite of everything going on in our world today, there is a force that is more powerful than any political power. There is a more, for, uh, more powerful force than any form of government, and that is the grace and the mercy of God. Amen? Is anybody thankful for the grace and the mercy of God? Have you found it to be true that His grace is not passive? That His mercy is not passive? Amen? That God's grace is not some figment of our imagination existing somewhere out there in eternity, but his grace found me, amen? His mercy reached down to where I was. Amazing grace, how sweet the sound that saved the wretch like me. I once was lost, but now I'm found. I was blind, but now I see. I wonder if anybody today is still thankful for the amazing grace of God. I know that's an old song, but I wonder, do can we still get excited about amazing grace? 
Hallelujah. I know it's an old tune, but it's still a sweet sound. I would mention that a couple of the songs we sang this morning are uh, Brother Wilson wrote, and they're part of his new album that he's going to be recording on Friday night. So uh, if you didn't get a chance, you know, I think he didn't want you recording those and broadcasting them out. But uh, one, one day you'll say, I was there the first time he sang that. I know his last album did, did well, and I, I, I think we have every reason to believe this next one will do even better. But thank you. I, that last song we just sang, You're Not Finished Yet. Amen? That, that was my other choice for the title today, that God's not finished yet. He's not finished with me. He's not finished with you. He's not finished with our community. Amen. I, I know my dad today had come over a little bit early, and he was in my office with me. And on the back door of my office, I have taped up the plans for phase two. And, uh, you know, the enemy has been really wearing, wearing me out that, you know, you're never going to build phase two. And, you know, that, that's never going to happen. But my dad spoke some words of faith even this morning to me. God's not finished yet. Amen. God's not finished. The best is yet to come. And in Hosea chapter number one, the Lord speaks to the prophet, the anointed man, and his mouthpiece to Israel, Hosea, and he says, Hosea, go take yourself a wife. Amen. The, the, the best words any young man has ever heard, right? Go take yourself a wife. But he doesn't say to Hosea, just take any wife. He says, Hosea, I want you to take to you a wife of whoredoms. I want you to go find you a wife that is unfaithful. I want you to find a wife that is uncommitted and has no restraint in her life. Hosea, I want you to go find you a woman that you're not going to be able to trust. I want you to go find a woman that without a doubt she's going to step out on you. I want you to find a woman without a doubt she's going to break your heart. Amen. I want you to go find Hosea, find you a woman that's going to hurt you real bad and fail you real good. I want you to find you a lady that's going to disappoint you and she's for sure going to break your heart. He said, I want you to go and marry you a wife of whoredoms. Amen. I can't imagine this joining together of a prophet and a prostitute does great things for the reputation of Hosea in Israel. Now, I know it's a different day and a different time, and there are cultural transformations that have taken place in the last 3,000 years since Hosea was a prophet to Israel. But I just have a feeling that that's one principle that hasn't changed a whole lot. Amen. Amen. Whether it's the year 2020 or the year 770 uh, B.C. when Hosea was around, I don't think it did a lot for the, uh, for the reputation of the preacher to be married to a prostitute. Amen. And But yet, and nevertheless, in spite of what it was going to cost his character and in spite of what it was going to do to his reputation, God speaks to Hosea and says, go and marry you a wife of whoredoms. And I think the question, and we have, theologians have wrestled perhaps uh, in some level with this passage of Scripture for many years. God, why? Why would you ask a man of God? Why would you ask a prophet? Why would you have a man whose reputation is everything? Why would you ask for that man to so do something so character corrupting, amen, something that was, is going to so ruin the reputation of a prophet to the nations? Why, God, would you ask me to do something that is going to tarnish my reputation and dishonor my name? And even as we ask the question, we find the answer. Because in Hosea chapter 1 verse 2... Right after God says to Hosea, 
to go take to him a wife of whoredoms, God speaks to him and said, here's the reason why. Because the land has committed great harlotry by departing from the Lord. Or as the New Living Translation renders the second half of that verse, he says, this will illustrate how Israel has acted like a prostitute by turning against the Lord and worshiping other gods. He says, Hosea, I need you to marry a wife of whoredoms. I need you to take a wife that is going to break your heart. I need you to take to you a wife that's going to walk out the door. I need you to get married to a woman that can't resist other lovers in her life. I need you to get a wife that is surely going to let you down. Amen. If I could say it this way, Hosea, I need you to marry a woman that is going to be hard to love. Why? Because, Hosea, I need an illustration. I need the people of Israel to be able to have a visible demonstration of how I feel about Israel. I need somebody that will stand there as an image and an icon. I need somebody that the people can look to and they will be able to understand because it's one thing to read it through text, but it's another thing to feel it in relationship that God was saying, I need Israel to experience the emotion of what I'm feeling because Israel has walked away from me and they have chased after other gods now to say that Hosea's ministry was unique would be an understatement in the day that Hosea prophesied to Israel there were three other prophets who were his contemporary and ministered in similar ways at similar times verse number one identifies the timeline of the ministry of Hosea as being during the reign of Uzziah Jotham Ahaz Hezekiah, the kings of Judah, and also Jeroboam, the king of Israel. If we studied the timeline, we would understand that contemporaries and peer prophets to those same nations at this same time were Isaiah, Amos, and Micah. Each of these three prophets were more conventional in their ministry. The first four words of the book of Isaiah underscore the ministry of Isaiah. The Bible simply starts in the book of Isaiah when it says, the vision of Isaiah. In other words, God would appear to Isaiah and he would speak to him and say, this is what I want you to say. Time and time again, Isaiah would say things like, I saw the Lord, or the Lord appeared, and I, w- I had a vision. I was in the Spirit. Amen. Var- various ways that Isaiah would say it. Uh, but Isaiah was spoken to by the Lord in a more conventional manner. Uh, uh, one very prominent passage that we find in Isaiah chapter 6, uh, where Isaiah sees the Lord high and lifted up, uh, and his train fills the temple. That is how God spoke to Isaiah. He had visions where God would speak to him and then he would speak to the people. Then we have the ministry of Amos. Amos, another contemporary to Hosea. The ministry of Amos also came through a vision. The Bible tells us that Amos was among the herdsmen when all of a sudden he has this great vision from God and that vision that he has, God speaks to him and says, this is what I want you to tell the people of Israel. And then we have the prophet Micah, the third of the contemporaries of Hosea. And the Bible tells us that Micah prophesied in the days of Jotham, Ahaz, and Hezekiah. 
And the Bible says this about Micah's ministry, that the word of the Lord came to Micah in a vision. And for seven chapters, Micah would prophesy and minister the word of the Lord that had come to him in that vision. There is the vision of Isaiah, Amos saw, and Micah saw. But God said to Hosea, Hosea, I'm not going to use you the same way that I've used Isaiah. And I'm not going to use you the same way that I use Amos and that I use Micah. Because to those prophets, I appeared to them and gave them a word. But Hosea, here is how I'm going to use you. I need you to go and marry to you a wife of whoredoms. Why? Because there are some things that we can understand by receiving a word of knowledge. But there is another level of anointing that comes not just when we receive a word, but when we live it out in our lives. Amen. I believe today that God is trying to speak to the church. I know we've been going through some difficult times, but I believe that we're going to see some things demonstrated in our lives that are going to be more powerful than just seeing a vision, more anointed than just hearing a word. I'm not making light of the ministry of Isaiah, Amos, and Micah. These were great prophets of Israel, powerfully anointed men of God. But God said to Hosea, I need my people. I need Israel. I need them not just to hear how I feel. I need them not, I need more than just to hear the word of the Lord. I need for them to see how I feel. I need them to watch and have a witness for the word of the Lord. I need them to know how I feel about them. I need to watch them, I need them to watch and see the way that I feel when I see you turn away from me. And so the Bible says Hosea went and took Gomer, the daughter of the blame. Now, I thought as I was preparing these notes, I thought this would be a great opportunity to pause and preach about the blame game. Amen. Go Mary Gomer, the daughter of the blame. And I thought, Brother Wilson, this is a great opportunity to preach about the blame game. But I knew my wife would shake her head when I said that, so I'll continue on. We live in a world today where everyone's playing the blame game. Amen. Amen. If things aren't going well in my life, I'll blame them and I'll blame them. Amen. It's their fault. I want to tell you, you you have to choose at some point in your life if you're going to be a victim or you're going to be a victor because you can't be both. Either I'm going to play the blame game or I'm going to be victorious. Either I'm going to blame it on somebody or I'm going to be victorious. Either I'm going to talk about why I can't be victorious or I'm going to live a life that is overcoming. I wonder how many victories are in the house today. How many overcomers are in the house today? My Bible tells me that we are more than conquerors through Christ. Tell your neighbor, I don't know about you, but I am an overcomer. Wow, that was not very convincing. I hope you've got more passion about overcoming. Tell somebody else, I don't know about you, but I am an overcomer. I wish somebody would get excited today. Devil, I'm not a victim. I am a victor. It's time to stop playing the blame game, and it's time to let the devil know, devil, your days are numbered. 
The Bible says the devil knows he has but a short time. And so he comes down with wrath. But I just want to let the devil know your days are numbered. And in the end, I am victorious. In the end, I am an overcomer. In the end, I am a conqueror. Come on, you need to stand up on your feet and clap your hands and let the devil know I am not a victim. You need to raise your hands and let the devil know I am an overcomer. I am a conqueror through Christ Jesus. Hallelujah. We used to, they used to sing a song every once in a while, and it was a depressing verse. It said, I've been lied on, I've been cheated, I've been talked about, mistreated, I've been abused, scorned. Talked about, have that in, talked about as sure as, is that right? But then it said, but as long as I got King Jesus, long as I got King Jesus, I don't need nobody. Come on, I know there's people in the room today that you've been through things. I know you've been let down, lied on, cheated, talked about, mistreated, abused, scorned. But don't let me, don't you forget, you still got King Jesus. And as long as you got Jesus, I don't need nobody else. Hallelujah. I feel like half of you believe me and the other half I need to talk you into it. Uh, come on, don't let your problem keep you from the promise. Uh, let the enemy know today I am victorious. I believe that we find two reasons that God told Hosea to take a wife of whoredoms. First of all, to illustrate to Israel the impact of their sin. He needed Israel to be able to have a visual representation so that they could understand the impact of their sin. Israel was the type of Gomer. Israel was the type of this unfaithful wife, this bride that could not restrain herself from chasing after other lovers. So he said through this marriage between Hosea and Gomer, the, the, the clear message that was being preached to the people of Israel he was saying, Israel, you are a hard people to love. Anybody ever had anybody in your life that you wanted to love them, but they were hard to love? Please don't look next to you right now. Don't look at anybody right now. Amen. Have you had anybody in your life that it seemed like the more you tried to love them, the harder that it became to love them? He's saying, Israel, through the marriage of Hosea to Gomer, this wife of whoredoms, he is saying to Israel, how many times are you going to go chasing after other gods? How many times have I been there when you needed me that you still leave me to go running after other gods? He said, don't forget, I brought you out of Egypt. I brought you through the Red Sea. I provide manna and quail when you needed food in the wilderness. I gave you a pillar of cloud by day and a pillar of fire by night. I brought you out of the wilderness into a land of promise. I laid down flat the walls of Jericho. I delivered you from the Philistines, the Amalekites, the Ammonites, the Amorites, the Moabites, and all the otherites. He said, yet in spite of everything I did to love you, the next thing I know, you're chasing after other gods. 
But this isn't just a historical story about Hosea and a woman that is hard to love. No, it's not even just a story about God and a nation that is hard to love. This is about a right now God and a people that are hard to love. Amen. There are people in this room right now that God's been good to you, that God put food on your table, that God put money in your bank account, that God brought you out of sin, that God brought you out of darkness, that God healed your marriage, that God God healed your body. But you need to know today you're not always easy to love. Now I know we all like to think of ourselves as being easy to love. If I'm honest, there are times that I think Valerie is lucky. It's not very often. All right, Brother Scott, I I hear you over there. We like to think of ourselves as the second coming of Casanova. Amen. I'm easy to love. I am romantic in all of my ways. The fact is, I'm not always easy to love. The fact is, in my relationship with God, I've got to admit, I'm not always easy to love. The fact is that Gomer, that wife of Hordoms, was not just an image of of a nation, Israel, that God found it hard to love. It was an image of you and I in this room today. You need to know today that your sin makes you hard to love. I know today we've created in modern Christendom and Christianity, we've created a God that is 100% love. He's this sweet, lovey-dovey, giant teddy bear you get on Valentine's Day. But can I tell you that while he is a God of love, he is equally a God of wrath. He is equally as equal as he is a God that loves the sinner. He is a God who hates sin. Now, I know that's not going to be a popular message today, but you need to know that sin makes you hard to love. That sin makes me hard to love. Amen. We need to remember that God is holy. He is righteous. He is perfect. He has no sin. And God hates sin as perfectly as he loves you. With that same perfection, he hates sin. But God's okay with my sin. Absolutely, he's not okay with sin. He's not okay with adultery. He's not okay with fornication. He's not okay with drunkenness. He's not okay with debauchery. He's not okay with homosexuality. He's not okay with thievery. He's not okay with sin. I know it's 2020 and everybody's saying God's okay with sin. But let me remind you today that God is not. He never has been and he never will be okay with sin. And let me say, like Paul said, such were some of us. And my sin makes me hard to love. Amen. And this me that is sinful. He didn't say, Hosea, go find a wife that has a few flaws. Amen. It's amazing how we look at other people and we, their flaws are so major. And we're like, God, how could you love them? But then when we look at our own imperfections, we call them flaws. 
We call it little mistakes in our life, just something I'm trying to overcome. No, just like when you look at that other person, God sees your sin the same way he's the, he sees their sin. But God didn't say, Hosea, go find you. He didn't say, go find you a woman that has a few flaws. He didn't say, Hosea, go find you a wife that struggles in a few areas. He didn't say, go find you a wife who doesn't really know how to cook. Or maybe isn't the best interior decorator. No, he said, Hosea, go marry you a wife of whoredoms. A wife that can't help herself. Hosea, I want you to marry a wife knowing full well that as soon as she has an opportunity, she's going to leave you to pursue after other lovers. Amen. I've got to stand in this pulpit today with full confession that it is my sin that makes me hard to love. Listen to what God says in Hosea chapter 2, verse 5. Gomer, speaking here, says, I will go after my lovers. For, she says, it is my lovers who gave me bread and water. It is my lovers who gave me wool and flax. It is my lovers who gave me oil and drink. In that passage of Scripture, bread and water are symbols of satisfaction in the Old Testament language. Flax and wool represent covering and clothing. And oil represents the luxuries of life. In other words, Gomer is saying, I'm going to leave my dedicated husband. And I'm going to chase after the lovers of this world. Because they're the ones that have given me satisfaction. They are the ones that have covered me and clothed me and they are the ones who have been responsible for me living in luxury or luxury but listen to what God says in Hosea chapter 2 verse 7 he says Gomer will follow after her lovers Israel will follow after her lovers the sinners in 2020 will follow after their lovers but they shall not overtake them and she shall seek them and she shall find them and then she will say I will go back and I will go back to God I will go back to my husband for then was it better for me than it was now for she she did not know that God was the one giving her corn. And God was the one that had been giving her wine. And God was the one responsible when she got up in the morning there was bread in the pantry and she thought her lovers were the one that put it there. When she got up in the morning there was oil in the cruise and she thought her lovers were the one that put it there. But God said all this time you thought your job was taking care of you. And all this time you thought your education was taking care of you. All this time, you thought your political party was watching out for you. But I am the one. I am the God. It's been God all along. It's been God watching over you. It's been God keeping you. Come on, somebody, it's time to give God praise. When I wake up in the morning and there's bread on the table, it's because he's been good to me. Some of you still think it's your Ph.D. and your college degree that is the reason that you are satisfied. You need to know it's not those other lovers. It's God who has been there for you. It's God who's been watching over you. Come on, can we raise our hands right now and give God praise? 
Come on, God, I've been hard to love. I've been hard to love every time you provided for me. I've given credit to my degree. I've given credit to my hard work. I've given credit to all the other gods of this world. But, Lord, I give you credit today. You are the one. Come on, he is Jehovah Jireh, my provider. Come on, somebody I know right now in this building, some of you drove into this parking lot in cars you thought you'd never be able to afford to drive, and you think it's because the job you work. Come on, stop being a gomer. Stop running after other lovers and raise your hands right now and give God praise. What you didn't know is it was God the whole time. Come on, some of we live in houses we never thought we'd be able to live in. Come on, God's been good to us. We got food on the table. We got clothes on our back. We got a roof over our head. But what you didn't know is it was God. I think it'd be all right for the next 30 seconds for just to have a celebration of Thanksgiving where we give God thanks for every good thing. Come on, those clothes on your back right now. Jehovah Jireh did it for you. That job that you go to on Monday morning, God is your provider. Hallelujah, Lord, I thank you right now. I thank you. God, I thank you for every good and perfect gift comes from the Father above. I thank you, Lord, for the way that you've blessed us. I know that I've been hard to love. I know, Lord, that I haven't been easy to love. I know, Lord, that many more times than I'd like to count, you provided me for, for me in the wilderness, and I still went chasing after other gods. I know I haven't always been easy to love. Hallelujah, hallelujah, hallelujah. Hallelujah, hallelujah, In the middle of coronavirus, we can get stuck in grumbling and complaining. In the middle of coronavirus, we can get stuck talking about all the bad that's going on. But in the middle of it, I still have not seen the righteous forsaken. And I haven't seen his children begging for bread. In fact, most of us during coronavirus in those first few months, we came in talking about how coronavirus had been too good to us. Sporting a little coronavirus belly. Come on, God's been good to me in the middle of all of this. God didn't leave me. He didn't forsake me. He's still been blessing me. He's still been watching over me. And if you think I'm going to give credit to the government, if you think I'm going to give credit to a political faction, if you think I'm going to give credit to my education, if you think I'm going to give credit to my talent and my ability, you better guess again. I know where my help comes from. My help comes from the Lord. Stand with me, I'm almost finished. I want to bring this message to a conclusion this morning by bringing our attention to Hosea chapter 3. By the time we, the time we come to chapter 3, Gomer, the wife that God told the prophet to go and marry, I'm not really sure how it got there, but she's now involved with another man. From our understanding of the passage, not only is she involved with another man, but that 
this lover that she has gone to has now enslaved her. And under Mosaic law, Hosea has every right to walk away. Every right to divorce and disavow any sort of responsibility for Gomer. Yet as I turn to chapter 3, I'm not reading this. I'm no longer reading Hosea, the book of Hosea from the standpoint of the prophet. I, I fully realize now I am Gomer. I'm reading it as the prostitute, as the sinner who's not easy to love. The wretch who seemingly doesn't possess the ability to stop straying after earthly enticements. And as I read, I envision Gomer having been attracted by the alluring enticement of a lover that has promised satisfaction and luxurious living, but now she finds herself enslaved. Some commentaries and studies of biblical culture and customs indicate that when Hosea walks up on the scene, Gomer is on an auction block as a prostitute being auctioned off to the highest bidder. And one commentary details that the going price for such a slave as a prostitute during those times would have been 30 pieces of silver. Yet the Bible tells us that Gomer's value is only 15 pieces of silver. She has been devalued by what promised to satisfy. She has been depreciated by what pledged to please. She has been reduced to nothing by what once swore to give her everything. Her value is gone. Her worth is nothing. Her dreams have been shattered. Her shame is made public. Her guilt is more than she can bear. And surely as Gomer stands on that auction block, waiting for her name to be called and her price to be screamed out, her shame to be heralded, she has got to be thinking, Brother Roberts, it's over. Nobody will love me now. Nobody, not even that husband that once valued me. My value is gone. I'm not even worth what the others around me are. Surely nobody will care for me now. But in the middle of that, the Lord speaks to the preacher again. He says, Hosea, go again. Go again and find that woman. Hosea, go again, because again, Hosea, this isn't just about a relationship. I need people to know how I feel about them in their sin. I need people on a Sunday morning who have walked away. I need people on a Sunday morning. They've been hard to love, but I need them to know how I feel about them. So go again, Hosea. And love that woman who's been beloved of a friend who is an adulteress. According to the love of the Lord toward the children of Israel. Hosea, I need you to marry a wife of whoredoms. Because I need my people to know that their sin will never stop my love. I need them to know that they may have been devalued. But I'm still a God who is willing to pay the price. I need them to know they may have been rejected, but I am still pursuing after them. They have been ashamed, but I am still forgiving. They have been unfaithful, but my love is still relentless. So go again. The Bible says that Hosea went to that auction block. 
As Gomer stands on that auction block looking over the crowd, I'm sure thinking nobody's going to be willing to pay the price for me. I missed my opportunity. I had a lover who was faithful. I had a husband who provided for me, and I walked away. Surely he's finished with me now. And then Hosea, the preacher, walks up, and he takes that bag full of silver, and he throws it on the table and says, I will pay the price. I want to tell everybody in this building, I don't care how ashamed you are. I don't care how much sin there is in your life. I want you to know that Jesus went to Calvary and he stretched his hands out wide and he paid the price for you. Let's raise our hands all across this building because some of you think God is finished. There's no way he could love me. There's no way. I'm, I am Gomer, preacher. I am Gomer. There's so much shame. I chased after lovers. I chased after the things of this world that promised me satisfaction. And I'm so dissatisfied with what I've become. There's no way that God could love me. Jesus paid it all. Come on, somebody in this building, I need you to know Jesus paid it all. Jesus paid it all, the price for your redemption, the price of your salvation, the price, come on, to save your soul. Jesus paid it all. But not only did Jesus pay the price, he turned to Gomer and he said, Thou shalt abide with me for many days. Thou shalt no longer play the harlot. Not only does Jesus have the ability to pay the price for your sin, he also has the power to keep you from going back to your sin. I want you to know in this building today, you may feel like it's over. You may feel like God is finished. You may feel like there's no hope for you. But I serve a God who is able. I serve a God who is rich in mercy. So raise our hands all across this room. Come on. Maybe I'm not preaching to you today. Maybe you're not hard to love. Maybe, maybe you have no guilt and you have no shame. Maybe, maybe you can't relate with Gomer today. Maybe you've never been guilty of chasing after the things of this world. All the while, God was providing and meeting your every need. But I have a feeling like me, there's some Gomers in this house today that can say, I have not been easy to love. I feel the word of the Lord coming through an Old Testament prophet today to tell somebody in this building, it's not finished yet. It's not over yet. God's not through with you. He paid the price for your redemption, and he has the power to change you. Let's raise our hands all across this room right now. If you've got a family member, somebody that you came with, I want you to lay your hand on their shoulder. I want us to pray one for another. I feel the Holy Ghost. I'm preaching every gomer in this house today that you think that you have been so devalued by sin, that you've been so devalued by your failure and by your past that there's no way God could love you. I've come today to tell you it's not over yet. God is not finished. Come on, gomer. He paid the price. 
Come on, he said, I want to be the God that supplies your every need. I want to be the one that when you wake up in the morning, there's bread in the pantry, and there's water in the sink, and there's oil in the cruise. If we confess our sins, he has always been faithful. He is still the faithful husband. And if we will confess our sins, he is faithful. And he is just to forgive us of all of our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Sometimes it is easy to start on your destination without knowing the exact path that it takes to get there. To get to our destination, we need to follow the one who knows our predestined path. Be sure to subscribe and watch us on Facebook Live every Sunday at 11 a.m. Eastern Standard Time. Also, visit us at www.livinghopemd.com. So I'm going to wait on you, Jesus. I'm going to wait on you, Jesus.